0: I just want to look at a small text in Leviticus chapter 25 that I read um, in my personal studies. And it, Um, chapter 25, verses 1 through 7, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year... There shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for for food." Um, So in this text, God is commanding his people to work and plant for six years. And then on the seventh, they are called to leave the fields empty. And in an agricultural society like this, this is really absolutely insane because if they don't plant food and they don't um, try to provide for themselves, they're going to starve by all human intents. But God promises them down in verse uh, 18, Therefore, you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely and then he goes on in the the verses after that to say the israelites will have abundantly more than they even need and so this is a command that requires faith because um, if god does not step in and save them then they'll all perish and really in studying the old testament this is just one example um of israel's disobedience and and lack of faith because from the time they leave Egypt. They're already saying, um, "Have you taken us out of Egypt to die? Because there's no graves in Egypt." And then, um, even after they've watched God part the seas and destroy all their enemies and provide manna, they still doubt God and they still um, doubt His goodness. They even build a new god out of gold and then say, "This is the god who brought us out of Egypt and give Him the credit." Um, and eventually, that all culminates in Israel refusing to enter the promised land because they they don't believe that God will give it to them. And so the author of Hebrews says in, in chapter three that they were ultimately unable to enter God's rest because of disbelief. And I think particularly disbelief that God is who he says he is and disbelief in God's goodness. Um, even all the way back to the garden with Adam and Eve, God has shown Adam and Eve that he is good. But then the, the adversary begs the question and puts the doubt, is God really good? Um, the psalmist calls God our, our refuge and a friend of mine and I have been for the past two semesters praying through the psalms together. And it's just been incredible to see the language that the psalmist uses for God. He's a refuge, a fortress, um, a place where we dwell securely, our, our shadow where we can dwell. And God is all of those things and he wants us to rest in him as our, as our refuge. But our disbelief in God's goodness keeps us from resting in his presence and abiding in him. So the first thing I want to draw from this text is Israel refuses to obey and rest for fear of not having their physical needs met. Um, And this is something I see in my life. I get so caught up in making sure that all my needs are met and all the things that I need to do are done. And then I go to God. Um, And even then, the truth is, after I've strived and done done all I can, I still lack what I need. But then I also can't rest in God because of my disbelief. It prevents me from entering into that rest. So just like Israel tries to take matters that are beyond their control, um, the provision of the nation, into their own hands. I try to do the same thing with my school bill, my circumstances, and my relationships, and, and all the things in my life. And I think we all do this. We exhaust ourselves and we stress ourselves out, and we become miserable because we're trying to do things that only God can do instead of being still, seeking Him, praying Him, praying to Him, and trusting Him to do according to His goodwill. And this reveals, I think, two things about our heart it reveals the lack of faith that is there, um, that God is we lack the faith to believe that God is capable to provide what we need, but also it reveals who we believe God really is. And it it shows our wrong views of God. And I think having a, having a right view of God, viewing him rightly is critical to our Christian life. Like why do we doubt God? Why do we have doubts about his goodness and his, his righteousness, his faithfulness, all of those things. It's because we see him wrongly. Our sin distorts our view of God and it creates distrust in us. It creates disbelief. So deep down in places, we don't want to admit we actually are suspicious of God and doubt him. Um, just like much like Israel in this text, um, they silently believe that God is against them and not for them. <clears throat> so I think the cure to that is to study the scriptures, not just for good principles or finance, financial advice or relationship advice. Although the scriptures do contain those things, we have to say the scriptures to see who God is and ultimately cry out with Moses, God, show us your glory. And we're talking about revival, that I think is an important tenet of that is when we see God rightly and we are amazed by his glory, I think it will change our hearts. But practically with this text, when we see God rightly as our sovereign and loving father who will provide for us, it's then that we're able to rest in his fatherly care because we can trust him fully. And so we can rest in God for providing our temporal needs. But also the second thing I want to look at is God grants us a Sabbath rest from works in Christ. And so um, in this text, Israel is faced with a choice. They can either save themselves or they can trust God to do the saving. And Israel tries to save themselves. They try to do what only God can do. And I think the the thing we all want to do is judge Israel here. But I think as Christians, we do the same thing in regard to our standing with God. Um, how often do we try to put, maybe even unknowingly put God in our debt and um, maybe see him as entitled to us because of some good works we've done. So we view our, way, our works that way, one way wrongly, but also um, I think another way we tend to view our works is we try to do good works like we're paying off a debt and that we owe Jesus. And if we're not careful, we develop sort of a debtor's ethic that says I need to pay back Jesus for what he's done for me. I need to pay off the grace, but Romans chapter 11 teaches us that. If grace is on the basis of works, then it's not grace at all. So we're missing the point when we try to earn anything from God or when we try to pay back God for what what he's done. And the truth is God has sent Christ and Christ is sufficient. Um, He paid that entire debt. And that's exactly what the Sabbath rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about. In chapter four, he says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. this verse isn't saying we no longer do any good works because um, the book of James and Ephesians chapter 2 are very clear that we are saved by grace to walk in good works that God ordained beforehand. Um, But the term rest here, I think he's saying we have to stop relying on our works to save us or to put us in good standing with God because we can't earn anything from him um, and we can't work our way towards him. Colossians 1 puts it this way, Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross. We have peace with God and we have God's unconditional favor and love. And he's pleased in us, not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so in that place, in that security, that's where we're able to rest in Christ, in his hands where no one can pluck us out. Uh, And that's where we're enabled to do good works with a proper motivation. And that is, it's a response of love with a thankful heart for what God has done and for who he is. And so I want this text to be an example for us. Disbelief keeps Israel from having what God wants it to have rest. And God wants us to abide in him and seek him as our refuge. But this distrust prevents us from that. And it all goes back to that same root issue from before. We view God rightly and viewing God right, or sorry, wrongly. We view God wrongly, and that creates in us a weak faith and a distrusting heart. Um, And again, the cure for both of these is to study, study the scriptures not as a guidebook, not as. A book of principles um, or a solid life advice, but it's God's revelation of Himself. We can actually know God and know who He is. And so, when we do that, when we cry out to Him and ask Him to help us to see Him clearly, asking to see Him glory His glory and see Him for who He is, that's where our hearts will be changed. Um, And I believe that when we do those things, we will see Him for who He is. We see Him in His glory. Our hearts will be changed, and we'll have hearts that are able to rest in God's sovereign provision we will be able to trust in his sufficient sacrifice and we'll be enabled to act out our faith with proper and true motivation for good works. So Paul says, um, these things were written beforehand for your example, so you might not stumble. So we we need to learn from Israel here um, because time and time again, they refuse to enter God's rest because of distrust. And so um, let us trust in God's goodness, make him our refuge and be still and abide in him as our father who loves us and provides for us.